My number one thing, I think, is building a network of trusted advisors and friends because there is nothing more powerful than being able to pick up the phone and call other people who you trust who have either been there or are there with you right now and talk through what's going on. And I can tell you, like, in particular, during, you know, the early part of this COVID situation, I mean, it was like I was talking to every CEO friend I had and we were all I mean, we're all in it together. No one's been there before. But we each like when you start piecing together the fabric of what each of us were experiencing, what our thoughts were, and you started to see it kind of become cohesive. Mm-hmm. You knew you were on the right path. Mm-hmm. In particular, people you really admire and people that you know just have your back, right? And so I think the thing is, is that like you don't have those relationships if you don't spend a lot of years building them. Welcome to the In Factor conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and joining me today is Crystal Morris, the president and founder of Gator Cases, one of the leading manufacturers of case solutions for the music and pro audio industries. In this episode, Crystal shares how she transformed Gator from a small family business to become a global leader in music equipment cases. Please enjoy this episode with Crystal Morris. So Crystal, it's so exciting to have you today with me on InFactor. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. You are the CEO of Gator Cases. And Gator Cases started about 20 years ago with a small offering of plastic guitar cases. And now you're an international company offering over a thousand case and bag solutions for the music industry. And I think you and your father were in this business together. Can you tell us a little bit more about the company origins and where you're headed now? Sure. So yeah, I was lucky enough. My father actually had been in the music industry for 20 plus years before. And We had worked a little bit together after I got out of school and actually moved to Tampa. I'd gone back to school and we saw this opportunity to get in the case business. So literally I was in graduate school and I was taking some accounting class and they were teaching about about the variable cost model. And I was like, dad, we could start this business for nothing. We can like outsource everything. And of course he had, you know, all this great industry knowledge and relationships that we could capitalize on. And so literally around a kitchen table, we came up with the idea of what we were going to do, came up with the name. My mom to this day still claims she came up with it. All we know is we wanted a name that was something tough, say our product was going to be tough and like a fun logo. And we went to a trade show with, at that time, literally five guitar cases. So that was the start of it. And then just, you know, over the years, we just kept adding more products, more categories, really looked at all the different ways to manufacture things. So we started out with doing plastic products and we went into everything from woods to sewn products to all different types of plastic molding into different segments. So like I said, we started with guitar cases, but today a huge portion of our product has to do with audio, visual, recording, pro audio. So so all sorts of different categories. And then we also started expanding into kind of products that were similar. So anything like, for example, we made a speaker bag, but now we also make the stands to go with it or Mm -hmm. mic stands, things like that. So that was a little bit about kind of the product offering. A couple of years ago, we actually bought a company called Levy's Leathers out of Canada. 
that makes guitar straps, mostly guitar straps. We also mm -hmm. make um, slings for rifles. And so that's been another really interesting adventure, kind of going down the same channel. And I guess like kind of the other kind of part of the question was about, you know, working with my dad. And what was amazing is we started together. Obviously, I was young. He had all this experience. He was just such a great like serial entrepreneur kind of personality. We always joked he had this giant calculator on his desk because like anything that seemed reasonable, you could just like double it a few times and that would be the goal <laughs> he would set. So really privileged to have a lot of years of working with him. And then, gosh, it's been quite a few years now. Unfortunately, he passed away and kind of has, you know, led to my progression with, with running the company and really hopefully getting to honor all the great entrepreneurial spirit that he taught me. Oh, I love that story. That's that, you know, my mom was my entrepreneurial muse, I guess. So I totally get it. And that I love, I love the story. So you were in college actually, and came up with this idea. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? You, your dad was a musician. And I think you told me that wasn't necessarily, although yeah. you love the music industry, you didn't come to it from the background of being a musician, right? But No, so actually, so my dad wasn't particularly a musician, but he was more, he originally was always on the audio side. Oh, um, okay. First things he did was actually like in recorders in the like recording recorders in the 1960s. But he had worked in the industry and owned several other companies. And from like when I was small, I would go to trade shows with them and I'd be like the greeter that would like, you know, check people off as they came for appointments. So I think I just grew up around the industry, loving the people, knowing the people. So, you know, so I, I guess I just have such a passion for it. But I don't know if I really ever plan to do this. I mean, I can remember at one point in time, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I thought I wanted to be in sales. After I got out of uh, college, my dad sent me on what he said was his like real life MBA. And I worked in all these random com companies and traveled. So I don't know. It's just like, it was one of those situations where kind of opportunity came. He actually had a business at the time where he was kind of like an international rep and he repped a case company and they had parted ways and we thought we could do it better. So that was, that was really the, the initial start of it. You know, a lot of our listeners are students who are thinking about their own entrepreneurial journeys and where they, they want to go. And I was really, I'm really intrigued by this idea of that your dad sent you on the real life MBA, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the whole idea of that you, you had a lot of experience with this industry and sort of lived it. Could you talk a little bit more about, about that? Was it important to yeah. you to have that? That's a great and question. Honestly, Rebecca, no one's ever asked me that before either. And I love it. So, I mean, I think like the fact that I got to, and I think so many people that, you know, probably listen to this and our students probably have a family business that they're, they, they witnessed growing up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think some people like leave work at work, some parents do, and some really bring it home. And I guess I just always was witnessed my dad having this like incredible work ethic. And then he exposed me to it. You know, I'd go to his office, you know, as I got a little older, I'd go to these trade shows and he'd put me to work. And I think that exposure kind of just set this idea that I maybe felt comfortable in the industry. Like I mm -hmm. knew kind of how it worked, who the people were, who the players were. So I do think that that actually, like if you're thinking about wanting to be an entrepreneur, like kind of going back to some roots, it could be, you know, doing something completely different, but having that kind of base knowledge that if you grow up around something I could see is really a huge advantage. And I guess um, if you don't have that, the advantage of that 
family business, you can still do an internship or, or try to shadow an entrepreneur and get some exposure that way. Yeah. And I would think most people have some exposure like that. It maybe isn't a parent, but it could have been a relative or mm -hmm. someone they admire they lived in there. Or, I, mean, I think a lot of people maybe would be surprised how there is an industry or two that they know they've learned a lot about just through growing up. And, you know, maybe it's around a hobby too. Maybe you're tennis players, you know, every, you yeah. know, everything about what, what, what's in the tennis market. So I do think that that kind of base knowledge gives confidence. And, and then, yeah, my dad had this like idea. And so I did all these crazy things. Some of them I probably took a little more seriously. So maybe I had a little fun along the way. Right. Well, that's, but, that's um, important too. But yeah, no, I did like an entrepreneur. I was an intern in a company in Argentina and a distributor because he kind of wanted me to see each part of the business. So it was like, I worked in a distributor, I worked in a freight forwarder, I worked in a, I had a, my degree was marketing. So in a marketing department, he had this idea I was going to learn Spanish. I went to Costa Rica for an immersion plan. That one, I think maybe I didn't take it seriously and I had <laughs> a little too much fun in Costa Rica because <laughs> my Spanish skills are still not very good. But I think getting those experiences, like, you know, trying to kind of see each of the pieces of the puzzle helped me understand a little bit of each of the parts of the industry. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then later, like working with them, I've kind of been on the other side, right? So I, I, I understand a little bit about what those businesses do and kind of the inner workings of them. Yeah. Well, what a blessing that your dad had the foresight to do that. That's great. I, I think it's a, a, a great way to look at things. And I'm sure you use that a lot as you go through, you know, your day-to-day -day work. You know, a lot of our listeners are, some of them are already running companies. Many of them are, want to start a company and funding is one of the things that they worry about the most. Mm -hmm. So would you talk a little bit about funding? Have you had to raise money? Have you been able to do this by generating revenue and then putting it back into the company? Could you talk a little about it and maybe your philosophy about it? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's interesting because I, you know, in working a little bit with you guys, I, I hear that all the time. It's like getting the funding is so important. And as I mentioned earlier, I was in this accounting class and had studied this variable cost model. And we literally started Gator with $12,500. And we basically figured out how to do everything else on a variable model to sales. So initially where we, you know, if you're, we weren't making money and we were pouring everything back into it, like every penny we made went back into the company and, you know, and we were leveraging being able to get relationships with like, for example, we didn't open a warehouse. We used a 3PL, you know, I mean, we just kind of outsourced everything initially. And, you know, at some point in time, as the business grows, there's a point where those, you know, it becomes, it becomes a better option to go to a fixed cost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, you're locked in and it's not as variable, it, it does start to pay off. But I mean, we, you know, we've grown the company to, well, at least pre-COVID, about $60 million without ever taking any debt and just always just using earnings. Um, the only debt that we've ever taken was when I purchased the company I mentioned earlier, Levy's Leather. Mm -hmm. So all along, I mean, you know, obviously I think having a line of credits hyper important and, you know, that lets you, you know, keep your cash flow running. But I've just always taken a hyper conservative view to it and it's like my baby. So I don't have a problem putting everything back into it. Right. Right. So, so in the early stages, you basically, you know, you, you basically were able to keep it lean and outsource and yeah. minimize ownership until you could figure out that you needed more control over a resource. And right. then, then you could then hopefully by that time you had the money 
to invest in it. How did you manage your manufacturing early on with that kind of model? Did you? Yeah, so I mean, so one of the kind of at the very beginning, I would say one of our our strengths and differentiators was our key competitor in this space of plastic cases was making them in California and in Mexico. And so we took it offshore and were like at that point in time, I'd say our product was 90% of, of their quality and 50% of their price. Mm-hmm. So not, that's not who we are today, but at that point in time when we started the company, that was kind of our target was kind of to be the first person to take this product category offshore. So with that, I mean, we got a manufacturing partner in Asia and luckily enough, he, you know, we'd never worked with him, but he knew my dad, knew his history. And with that, I think was, you know, maybe that helped get credit, kind of credit with him or, but, you know, right off the bat, we kind of partnered in the fact that he just dove into starting the manufacturing for us. But, you know, we didn't invest in manufacturing. It was with a, with a partner there. So it sounds like partnerships, strategic partnerships have been really important. I think um, if you can sell people on your vision, you'd mm-hmm. be surprised how many people want to partner with someone that's, you know, fast, has a, has a vision and has a growth plan and, and, and a new business. Yeah, especially if you can create a way for them to reach their goals while you're reaching yours, it can become a real win-win situation. So, you know, you mentioned COVID just a few minutes ago. We are, what, four months or so, <laughs> half a year into this crazy experience, 2020. And I was talking to you a little bit before we started about the impact. You've got a really exceptional product, and I want to talk more about that here in a few minutes. But I'm very curious about how COVID has impacted your company. I'm on the board of a leisure boating company, and we've done phenomenally well because people are boating. And I know you can't buy a bicycle now, and I think you said people are buying guitars and and keyboards. So we've we've kind of, you know, we've puzzles. I read the other day that puzzles, jigsaw puzzles, you know, have increased by like 100 or 370% or some crazy number. So has the same thing happened for your business? Can you talk about, you know, has this been a challenging time? Has it, have you had opportunities come up? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously for us, it's been challenging because our primary product is designed to move things around and people aren't moving things around. Mm -hmm. So in the music industry, there's been some like hot pockets similar to bicycles it seems like every person who ever dreamed of playing guitar or once played it has bought a guitar. So, I mean, the guitar market is on fire. We actually do have a, a whole portion of our business that we call our OEM division, where manufacturers hire us to design and make their cases and bags. And we do have a couple of guitar makers we do that for. And so I'm seeing it on that side. I mean, it's like they just can't, they can't find production, enough production to meet demand. Keyboards are another area that's doing really well. So, I mean, there are pockets in the music industry that are doing really well. Oh, and another one is all the home recording, podcasting, streaming. So, you know, mics for your desk, things Mm -hmm. like that. But since our primary business is in cases, it's, you know, not not been great, except for the situations where it kind of rides along with the product. Luckily, we had, you know, over the years really diversified our product offering. And we do have some things that are designed for in-home, both even like mostly in our, within our stand line, for example, like guitar hangers, all the different types of mic stands that you see on, on desks now for people who are doing podcasts or even just working from home. So some of those products are doing outstanding, but the challenge as, as a business owner, and you know, we have over a thousand SKUs, is you know, we're, we're trying to manage 
our inventory smart before this, before all this happened. Mm-hmm. And so these things where we saw like our bread and butter that we always had tons of inventory on basically turned off, like no one's buying them. And then these things that were like, you know, decent performers for us in the past are, you know, 400, 500% sales growth. We just didn't have them in the supply chain. So that's been a little bit of a battle. Oh, another, I mean, it's interesting because it's like lucky and maybe, you know, an interesting lesson is a lot of times people stick to their core and obviously our core is bags and cases. But over the years, we've done these little areas we've expanded. And if it wasn't for them, we would be in really hot water. Those are the areas that actually are doing great. So like the stands, the other one that's doing fabulous is my guitar strap business, Levy's out of uh, Canada. I mean, we can't make enough guitar straps. So I think all these people are buying guitars for home. They need a strap and maybe don't need a bag or case. So so yeah, it's been challenging and, and definitely a lot of challenging business decisions along the way. I mean, I think if I, if I look at my career, I think there's two times that if you ask me like, wow, you know, there's like those days that like move in kind of slow motion slash you can't decide if it's like hyper fast or really slow. Obviously, you know, when I lost my dad and kind of had that reality. And then the second one was when this COVID thing hit and it's like, you knew that you had to, or at least I felt like we had to act fast and we had to start cutting expenses because sales just literally, you know, went almost to zero. And those are, you know, really, really hard decisions when you've spent years with the primary goal of building an amazing team and then really knowing you're having to downsize that team. Mm -hmm. It was definitely some of the hardest weeks that I've ever had to experience in business. Yeah, there was in our local business paper, I think there was some research, you know, and, and it was talking about the, you know, the number of especially small companies that, that don't have enough cash to get them through more than one more month. And, you know, I know there, there are going to be, we're going to lose some companies. Hopefully there, you know, people have like you been able to diversify. I think that's a really important point you made, you know, that, that the things that you don't really expect sometimes carry you through these economic periods that are so tough. You know, if, you know, on some of the boards that I serve on, we've talked for several years about what the next recession is going to look like, and nobody could have predicted that we were going to have this kind of an economic <laughs> period, no. you know? And so no matter what the last one looked like, this one's completely different. You know, I mentioned the boating, leisure boating, and, you know, the last one was so different for us because we've done really, that leisure boating industry has done really well uh, during this time period. But, you know, during the last economic recession, not so much. So it's it's kind of an interesting phenomenon do you as you think about about you mentioned those two times that were really tough and you know one of the things that prompted me to start this podcast was to dig in a little bit deeper on this whole concept of resilience and and kind of you know staying the course during these rough times do you do you have any you've already talked about a couple of tough times, you know, how do you, how do you manage to get through that? And do you have any suggestions or thoughts on, on how a young entrepreneur might sort of build some resilience and, or at least prepare for these kinds of times? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you start asking me that question, I was thinking through it. I mean, my number one thing I think is building a network of trusted advisors and friends because there is nothing more powerful than being able to pick up the phone and call other people who you trust who have either been there or are there with you right now and talk through what's going on. And I can tell you, like, in particular, during, you know, the early part of this COVID situation, 
I mean, it was like I was talking to every CEO friend I had, and we were all, I mean, we're all in it together. No one's been there before. But we each, like, when you start piecing together the fabric of what each of us were experiencing, what our thoughts were, and you started to see it kind of become cohesive, mm-hmm. you knew you were on the right path. Mm-hmm. In particular, people you really admire and people that you know just have your back, right? And so I think the thing is, is that, like, you don't have those relationships if you don't spend a lot of years building them. And you start, you know, that's, that's if you just wait till the time you need it to call, that's not, that's not right. the kind of relationship. So I think getting you know, really involved in business groups, networking groups, groups that have like small forums. Like I know, like I I personally am very involved with YPO. I think like EO is another great one. There's just so many organizations for females. There's a lot of great entrepreneurial female organizations, but I think really investing in building at least a handful of super strong relationships, bring that resilience. And if you're a young entrepreneur, those relationships could come from family members. They could come from, you know, people that trusted. I know I personally, I think I mentor, so I don't know how many, many is in particular young female, my personal friends, children, you know, I mean, they're always uh-huh. like, and there's no, I mean, I, I would always talk to anyone, go on walks, lunch, whatever it takes, you know, to help get through those times. So I think that, you know, kind of looking at your network overall, and then building it and not being shy. Like sometimes I think people are embarrassed to call and say like, hey, I got a problem and I, or I'm not sure what to do. And I think most people are thrilled to have someone call and, and you know, want to discuss it. You know, I think that's great advice. That trust that you build up over time is really important. And it's great advice not to wait until you need it to start calling on people. <laughs> you know, and it's true now that we're doing so much remotely too, all this, you know, working remotely and, and communicating remotely, and if you've built up that trust, it really helps. Do you, is much of your workforce working remotely now? Do you are you? Yeah, dealing? we are like a hybrid because you know some places like our facility in Indiana, we first of all make things there, so you have to have people there to make it, and then we also have a distribution centers that takes people to do it. Here in Tampa, we're kind of a hybrid approach, with some working from home, some coming in, and then some kind of coming in for critical meetings. And actually, I think it's it's working really great. But I think you said something really important, and it's kind of like this time of this remote working, not being able to see people in in person, you're kind of riding the coattails of these long-term relationships. So I know like right now, like a week ago would have been like a big trade show for us, right? And that would have been the time we saw all these customers and got together. And I think it's okay to miss it for a year because we've spent so many years building that relationship. Now, I personally was on a mission to do something hyper-creative to make up for it, and I felt like I felt like most people were going to get on a Zoom and like do some PowerPoint, like, hey, here's what we have, PowerPoint presentation, or I heard you know, people are getting on a Zoom and like holding up the widget and saying, hey, look, what do you think? So we wanted to do something really different, so we are actually putting on like an entire production, like almost like a mini TV program. Oh, wow. Doing. So they're very similar to, as similar as we could get to being in person. And I believe playing to our strengths of just really good relationship building. And we, and plus, I mean, honestly, it's been, you know, such a hard time and everyone's on edge and we've had more fun putting this thing together. We ended up doing a, we remember the Golden Girls, probably many people sure. have yeah. never heard of the Golden Girls. I do. Girls. The li- our listeners <laughs> may not. Yeah. <laughs> so we ended up putting a, we used the Golden Girls jingle and made like a whole little entry jingle and then 
And then it goes to like a live broadcast. So every single customer is going to be getting a live broadcast with us going through product. And, and Oh, that's great. That's so creative. So, so I think like, you know, I mean, this is the thing is like, we can't do the things we would normally do, but there's creative ways to hopefully keep connection with people. Right. We've hosted some happy hours, like where we sent out the, some, some, you know, margaritas to people and I'm you know, just trying to keep people connected but there's just nothing like being together. So right. I do think it is like, you know, kind of using the, the years or the time you've built up now. Yeah. I, well, you know, I, in, in my field, we, we do a lot of conferences and, and like you, because of the years of experiences with these people, you can still call on them. You can still work together. But I do think there's something powerful about being together and having experiences that, that go beyond work, you know, having dinner or, or getting together or having, having some time together. So, but I love your, you know, I love this. I mean, you could do a whole series now. You might be a, Net, a Netflix series. <laughs> but I love the creativity. And, and I love that you add a little fun in because we actually all need a little fun right now. You know, I, I've, I've, I've listened to some of these songs that people have written, you know, and that they've taken the traditional lyrics and put in the, you know, the COVID-19 or the coronavirus and, you know, in an attempt to kind of bring a little levity to it. So I think that's great. Good luck with that. <laughs> I'll, send, I'll send you the ditty. You'll yeah, I, I'd be interested in seeing that. I love the Golden Girls. So in, in some ways, I like to think of Gator Cases as kind of a David and Goliath. You entered into an industry where there's some really big names competing with Gibson, Fender, Yamaha. They do cases, right? And they do straps and some other things. How have you managed to to compete as a, a smaller company, at least initially? Yeah, well, so to me, every one of those are a potential customer. So, Perfect. yes. So, I mean, do they sell inferior competitive products to us? Absolutely. But ideally, I'm going to be making it for them. So when I walk into a music store, I'm hoping that no matter what the brand is on it, if it says Gator or some other brand, we're actually making it. Uh, absolutely. So, so you're doing white label kinds of things, right? Yeah. So we call that OEM in our like vocabulary, I guess. But yeah, basically, it's exactly that. It's white label. Now, at what point did you start that down your path? Was that early in the business? It was pretty early on. Once we, you know, I think when we started to have some specialties, we really when we when we were able to offer value. And if you think about these manufacturers, I mean, they're really good at making in that situation where you listed, you know, a lot of guitar makers, I think one or two keyboard makers, that's their primary business. So, you know, the accessory is, is either part of their build, their, you know, build in the product, final product that's going to ship with it or kind of a, a side business. So I think they're more than happy to leverage our expertise. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have an entire team that all they do is design these kind of products. We're passionate about it and we have the supply chain figured out and, you know, really, really, really hyper-focused on ensuring quality. And we have a complete quality team on the ground, you know, in Asia that's, that I don't think is, you know, it's, those kind of things aren't very easy to duplicate, to do it internally. When, how did you first build those relationships? Did that come from just years in the industry? or Some years in the industry. And I mean, some of it is, you know, just that whole, like, you just keep beating on the door. I mean, there's some of them that took a lot of years. 
and uh, have a great guy that does our, our OEM sales. And I just would be like, we got to get this feather in our hat. We got to get this one. And we would just it kind of made a game of it, chasing them down. And just, Persistence. We just kept knocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what you got to do, right? A lot I think of times that, you have to wait for their supply chain to fail. So, I mean, you know, if you're right there at the moment that they have, if, they're, if their products aren't shipping on time and that's making their, like, if they're trying to buy guitar cases and they can't ship their guitars, which is what they really want to sell to the cases show up and someone's running late and we happen to knock on the door at the right time, that's uh, a great opportunity. So how do, you, how do you keep in touch with customers? How do you keep your finger on the pulse of the industry and know what's going on? I mean, you know, obviously in today's world, it's a little different. I mean, we, I would say our team is a great relationship sales team and we, we're just on the road. We're out there seeing people, obviously, you know, using trade shows too, but really just work, have always been willing to get on an airplane and show up, you know, and put the work in to be prepared. And, and I think, I think that makes a difference. Yeah. Getting out there and talking to them. So you are a female and a female-led company in a male-dominated industry. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? You said earlier that you were mentoring a lot of young women, and thank you for doing that. And I know you're a great role model. So could you tell us a little about what it's like? And has that ever been a challenge for you? Has it been something you were able to take advantage of or a little of both? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a really interesting topic. I mean, I am, you know, I am just so thankful. My dad never told me that there was a difference between a girl and a boy. <laughs> and I just, and like, you know, I was always a tomboy. If it was, you know, whatever the sport was, I was doing it. And so I, I don't think, I think I always had, you know, I was lucky enough to have that mentor role model, just, you know, a dad, I think that male model that never told me there was something different. So I feel extremely fortunate to have that kind of core confidence but what I have seen is I do think it is very difficult for a lot of women and in particular to break through like a certain management level. You know, I, I broke through it because I wasn't working my way up a company. We started a little company that grew. And I think that I, I really have seen in the music industry that it is very, very hard, no matter how competent someone is and, and good to, to break through. And so I've just been really focused on trying to how do I help? And luckily, two other really amazing women, and I started a group called SWIM. It's focused on that. It stands for Smart Women in Music. I couldn't, we haven't, I mean, the, the amount of people that have come out every event, we have hundreds of people show up at trade shows. So I think it's something that, that is really getting attention, and not just by women. I think a lot of men leaders were like, hey, I didn't really pay attention to this, and I want to. But I do think that it's a challenge, and I have definitely had times where being, I think, a woman has been hard or I just feel like I'm not taken seriously. And, you know, and I, I personally never have taken that too much to heart. Like to me, it becomes a challenge. Like, okay, well, how do I show up? And I just like totally blow their socks off, right? So, I mean, I show up prepared. I try to always bring value for, you know, whoever we're meeting with. Like, I think if it's a win-win mm -hmm. and, you know, I personally like to bring visual things like PowerPoints or, you know, something to like really show them visually, samples, and then I think the other thing, like, that I just, I'm not sure it's exactly, I think you got to be like yourself. And I see sometimes a lot of women really struggling to find their place at the table. And so they kind of try to be someone they're not. And I think that, like, just being yourself and being true to your personality and, like, I think then, then you, once you kind of let those barriers go, you tend to shine a lot more. 
So I don't know. I'm, I'm extremely transparent. <laughs> and, you know, I'm kind of, I have some mixture of being really serious and silly. And I, I just, that's, that's how I roll. And this seems to work. So yeah, I like that message of authenticity. It's, it's so much, so much easier to be ourselves anyway, you know? <laughs> but I think sometimes so, like women I see will show up and have to be so serious or so because they feel like they're working so hard to be there. Right. Like, no, just be yourself. But you're really smart and you're really competent. So showcase those things. And, and I think, and what's important is I think some, sometimes, especially for younger women, I feel like part one of the things that that we can do, those of us that are a little bit more experienced, is give them permission to be themselves. And so you saying that, I think, is really an important part of that. So I appreciate that you did that. And I think you're right. We sometimes get this idea that we have to be something that we're not. So. We're tougher or something, you know, yeah. and I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I think we are tough, but we're tough in our own way. We're tough, yeah. It doesn't have to look like tough from a male perspective, right, or from anybody else's perspective. So I feel really blessed, Crystal, because you're part of our entrepreneurship advisory board and you've been so, so generous with your time, talent, and treasure. And I, I know that there's more than our group that you work with. You're very, you're an advocate, you and your team, I think, are advocates for music and arts education, career development, women's leadership. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you do in this space? You mentioned SWIM and you're on our advisory board. And, you know, why is this important to you? And even maybe more some of our audience might know, like to know, how do you find the time to do all that and run, run your company and be a mom? I know you're a mom as well. So, I don't know. Time is a funny thing, right? I guess it seems like the busier you are, the, the better you figure out how to manage it. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it is always a precious commodity because, I mean, you have to also make time for yourself. And I don't think you're at your best if you, you, know, if you don't make time for yourself, your family, your friends, and obviously your work. And I mean, the giving back piece is just, I mean, I feel that like, I don't even like to say I'm giving back because it gives way more to me every single time. Like, I just, I feel like I always like get the opportunity to learn, to see things from different perspectives. And hopefully, you know, like you have these moments where you see like, wow, we did something and it made a difference. And I mean, there's nothing that feels better. So, you know, really supporting the music industry as a whole. And I guess I've just become extremely passionate for the importance of music and arts education, like how it makes the whole person, how many people when I've been involved with some of this advocacy work go back to how they found their, their friend group, how they found confidence, all came from being part of band or music. And I just think it's, it's hyper important. So I spent a lot of time advocating for that, going to, up to every year I go on a trip to do advocacy at Capitol Hill done some fun things like even locally to kind of support this effort. We, we took a, the boys and girls club that's near our office and went in and just absolutely, it was like one of the, one of the shows where they go in and like, you know, totally a complete redo. They had a little room that had some like old music gear kind of thrown in it. And our entire team redid this room and just made it so cool. And we that added all the right instruments and got it working. And then, you know, before COVID happened, we were actively going in there supporting the room. So I think a lot of times people donate the gear, but they don't donate the time to help the kids learn how to use it. So, so the entire Gator team is rotated going in there and helping them use the gear. And then just on the entrepreneurship, women leadership side, you know, I, I feel like if I can lend any of my experience, 
and you know help maybe give someone a couple shortcuts along the way I would love to do that and and honestly I've been so lucky to have so many people do that for me if I have the opportunity to give that back it's awesome yeah it sounds like you talked about authenticity and now you're talking about gratitude and we talked about networks and resilience a lot of really great lessons in all that thank you thank you for sharing all that Thank you for taking the time to do this today. I love our conversations. I always learn something new every time we talk. So I really appreciate it. Before we close, though, I have one question that I ask everybody that comes on to my show, and I'm going to eventually compile all these. But if there was one piece of advice that you could leave with our listeners today, what would it be? I've already okay. given a lot of great advice. One I already gave. So you're going to have to figure out how to sparse this down later. But first is building relationships. And I guess there is a difference between a network and a relationship. And building relationships and doing it selflessly. So, you know, if you, it's not always that you have to get something in return to be doing it. And I think that building those relationships, it always comes back in spades, comes back in different ways. But I think if you selflessly build relationships, I think that it, it takes you the furthest. And that's both internal to your company and external. And I think the last thing is, like, if you just always do the right thing, like, if you're at a, a point and you have to make a decision and you say, well, what's the right thing? Okay, I'm going to do the right thing. Even if it costs you a little bit more money, maybe it costs you pride, whatever it is, you'll never look back and regret it. And I, I just think every time that I've reached some sort of, you know, why in the road you have to make a decision, if I go with that, do the right thing, it always seems to take me to the right place. Great advice. Thank you for that. Crystal, how can our listeners connect with you, find out more about Gator Cases, and check everything out online? Okay, well, I guess LinkedIn's always an easy one. <laughs> so you can find me, Crystal Morris, Gator Cases on LinkedIn. Our website is gatorcases.com. So it's probably be the two easiest ways. I'd love to get any messages, so please reach out. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was so much fun.